0: However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. Lord, thank you so much that you do, you're faithful to your Word, you're faithful to your promises. You do draw near when we draw near to you. Lord, when there's just two or three gathered, you are in our midst. Lord, when, uh, when we uh, just even in our weakness reach to you and even just touch the hem of your garment, power comes from you and touches our life. And we're grateful for that. And so, Lord, just as we look to your word tonight, open it to us. Give us fresh revelation Holy Spirit, give us ears that hear what You would say to us through this message. Lord, not through my words, but but through Your words, God. I ask for grace to communicate and grace to hear, all of us to hear what You would say to us as individuals. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we're going to look at shepherding... Young followers of Jesus with a Christ-like heart. This was actually supposed to be last week, but we had the uh, the stomach bug for the last couple of weeks, so we didn't want to give that to anybody. <laughs> so we we refrained from interacting with humanity as much as we could. Uh, but uh, so we're going to spread it tonight. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but but we are going to get into this uh, again. This was last week's message, but held it out for this week. But I felt the impression on my heart, um, just to begin talking about this subject of leading young people, uh, part of this is is related to the revival that stirred up at Asbury and was spreading, is, is mostly young people leading that. And... I have this sense that as the revivals begin to unfold in our nation in the coming months and years, it's going to be mostly young people providing the senior leadership for many of these moves of God. And so for old folk, I mean, I used to be a young person, and now I'm way less young. We have to begin to look at the young people you know, not in a generic sense. Not in not as like okay, young people. Um, we we have to look at them as as in the way that Jesus does, and that can be a challenge. I the, when I you know interact with people my age and above, there can be kind of that cranky spirit. Oh, young people today! I, if they only knew this or that, and and that's the people Jesus is going to use, and so he's looking for people that are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, to look down toward the kids, the preteens, the teens, the young adults, and take them very seriously because that's what Jesus did. That's what God does. We don't wait for young people to be 40-year-old, mature, homeowner, stable job before we take them serious. We take them serious the moment they believe they're five, six, seven years old, we begin to invest in them and believe in them, and there are many leaders who don't do that, who kind of stuff kids in a corner and go, don't interrupt our service, and then they become 18, 19, and 20 real quick, and they don't feel like they fit in. They don't feel like they have a place in the church, and so they leave the church. And so there's a lot of zeal in my heart, I've always said, we want kids in the prayer room, and I've had people disagree with me and leave because they don't want kids in the prayer room and and I just, I'm always going to go with what Jesus did. Jesus wanted kids near to him, he brought them up onto his lap, he prayed for them, he wanted the messes because he understood that in one second they're leading and if we let them in and if we guide them and invest in them the way Jesus did, they learn so much. But again, if we just kind of hope they get it out there somewhere randomly, they won't, and it'll be more difficult. So I want all of us in this room, no matter what age you are, there's people younger than you. Ask God, God, give me a heart for those young people. You might be in your 20s. There's people who are 10, 11, 12 who look up to you like you're the biggest deal ever. And you might be 30s, 40s, but there's teenagers and 20-year-olds that are like, whoa, you're ancient, <laughs> teach me. And then there's you know, the 50s, 60, 70-year-olds who you know, don't, don't follow that normal cranky spirit thing where we just despise the young generation because they didn't have it as hard as us. No, we want to look at them with the eyes of Christ with compassion and invest in them. And so this is really important. This is, you know, I'm 41 now. I remember like two minutes ago, I was Caruso's age. Yeah, I was 18, 19, 20, 21, like literally two minutes ago. And I blinked and now it's like, whoa, I'm in my 40s. I'm married. I have five kids. I don't even know if I'm grown up yet. And you can relate to that when you get into your 40s. You know, you're like, ah, wait, aren't I supposed to grow up more before all this happens? And the Lord says, yeah, you've got to figure it out now. And so, you know, I spent many years, I was the young person. And I needed people investing in me, investing and investing in me. And I blinked, and now I'm the guy that I'm investing outward to others. And I want all of us to have that heart. You know, uh, I was given many opportunities, Crusoe. I kind of we grew up together, and and you know, I was very close with his family, still am. And I remember, you know, your dad, Crusoe. I was maybe eighteen or nineteen years old. I knew like three Bible verses. That's being you know generous. And he said, "Hey, I, I need you to start pouring into a couple people." And I what? I know two Bible verses, and and, and that's it. Are you sure? And but the more I stepped into pouring into others that were maybe you know, a minute younger than me, the more I grew. And I began to realize, wow, if I point the arrow toward other people and investing in others, that's what grows me up too. See I thought you had to be like all grown up and then you know there's this you know burning bush experience and then you're validated and then you pour into I didn't know what to think. And the fact is you just get a heart for people. And you begin to pour into whoever who will pay attention and you grow. And so this is very important. Uh, There's really two things I want to share tonight, just two burdens. I want to learn and I want to help people effectively shepherd those that are younger than them. Okay, it just begins by getting a heart for them and to look at young people the way Jesus does. You know, I remember one time there was a... Someone who be, began to get disgruntled with me. And this was years ago, and said to me, it, it, "It seems like you almost focus on young people. I don't know if I like that." And and I just said, "Well, that's what Jesus did. I don't put a sign up that says only young people on the door. I, I, anybody can come here, but Jesus is always drawing young people to Himself." He's always going to do that. He always starts young because when the cement is still wet, you can mold people. But when you get to my age, that starts to harden and settle and it's it's really way more difficult to get people to to shift and change. So he, he starts with young people. He calls Jeremiah when he was a young boy. I mean, he called, many people were young throughout the Bible when God called them. So I just do what Jesus did. And so we can't wait. You know, some people have this idea: well, we're not going to invest in young people. We're going to just hope they get it somehow. And then they'll be on fire for Jesus when they're 40. Not how it works. Jesus starts very young. I'm going to go through just a couple very <clears throat> brief illustrations just to kind of tease this out. We're going to look at Jesus and Peter's relationship. This was just. If there was a masterclass on leading young young people it's the relationship of Jesus and Peter. It's incredible. There's so much insight in that one relationship alone. But also there's Paul and Timothy. That's so so much insight there. How Paul led Timothy. And then there's I'm going to talk about uh, Apollos and his relationship with an older couple in the church named Aquila and Priscilla. It was a married couple older than Apollos. And these are just a few examples. But I want to take the most time to just think about Jesus and Peter, okay? Because Jesus is the older rabbi. Traditionally, you know, it would be a teenager, very young person that would follow a rabbi. So when Jesus is calling Peter and the disciples, they're likely teenagers, maybe early 20s, okay? These weren't 40-year-old men, okay? They're teenagers, they probably just went through puberty. And that's when Jesus calls these fishermen, these brothers, he calls these young people, and we, we're not given ages in scripture for, I don't think any of them, but that's just the tradition. It, it would be very unusual that, you know, Peter was 70 or something like that. It's just not how it was. Jesus and Peter Begin this relationship. We all know what happens. Jesus walks by one day and says, hey, come follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. Imagine if Jesus says that to you. You're just going about your job. You're doing your life. And a rabbi comes and says, hey, you're done with that. Just completely drop everything and follow me. Peter does. The disciples do that. That the first point I want to make on the notes there, that's under number two a, is that this is a very young person. Okay, this is a very young person. So, crystal clear on this, we don't wait. The church does not wait until people are full grown. (laughs) We we don't wait to take someone seriously um, until you know they've got everything in order. These are people that are just starting their life. They're just figuring things out. I mean, Peter was just working for, you know, doing his normal job. I don't know, put in what would be a job today that would be considered, you know, as common as fishermen back then. I don't know, working at McDonald's or something. Peter's there working at McDonald's, punching away on the register. Jesus watching. Hey, Peter, I got, I'm you know, just trying to, I mean, that was just a common job. Peter starts to follow Him at at, at a very young age. You know, I think of my son Caleb. He's 13 now. I mean, that very well could have been the age of some of the disciples when Jesus came calling. And I see, my own son, whoa, that would be intense for him to just go off and follow Jesus and start to do some of the things those disciples did. That's crazy. We need to begin to shift our perspective. We don't... Wait till people are like successful and retired and have figured out life. Okay, now we take them serious because they can give to the church. Now we start way before that. Way before that. It's so important. I think of uh, your family, Renee. I think of you know your kids. The, Jesus is working on them right now. He's calling them right now. He's calling them to Himself. And and I've seen the Lord's hand on them in a number of ways. And so we just we take them serious. We don't wait until they're all grown up. You know, I've heard the the saying is when a young person comes to know the Lord, they don't get a junior version of the Holy Spirit. They get the actual Holy Spirit. And so when someone's 10 or 12 or 5 or 16, the very person of God the Spirit indwells them. It's not like a micro version, you know, the same Holy Spirit Jesus and Paul and John had, young people have, the moment they believe. And so we take that serious, we begin investing. Uh, I look at uh, Jesus when he began to speak into Peter's life. He began to give him prophetic words. So this is a young Peter, again, teenager, maybe early 20s at the very oldest. Jesus is already saying, Peter... You are the rock of the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the rock of the church, which I'm implying is you. And I'm sure Peter's like, oh my goodness, I knew it. You know how young people are always like, yeah, I knew my calling was huge. And so Peter's just relishing in this. Yes, keep going. Tell them all how great I am. Yes. And, and Jesus knows that's how young people are going to respond. That's how I was. That's how we all are. We all think these things. And still, Jesus was generous with his affirmation. Peter, I have a huge calling on your life. You're not going to fully understand it right now, but you are going to be a rock solid. And of course, we know Jesus knew everything that was going to happen. We, we know Jesus knew he was going to go through all kinds of trials But he gave that prophetic word so that Peter could look back and go, that's who I am. Even though I feel shattered right now, I remember Jesus said I'm a rock. And so Jesus is already going to be speaking to young people. You're going to meet teenagers. You're going to meet young people in their early 20s. They've already been given prophetic dreams. They've already been given prophetic words. The Lord's already marking them. And we have to come in and affirm that. We don't come in and go, ah, that's nonsense. No, no, that's real. <clears throat> Again, many leaders miss this. They're, try, they're They're operating from a paradigm that Jesus can only really work with people until they're really super mature or until they're an elder in the church or pastoring or something like that. There's many misguided views of leading the youth. Jesus is already speaking major life prophetic words, uh, major verses to these young people even before they go through all their trials and testings and all that. And so that's important as as we seek to shepherd young people. We have to have all of this in mind. Um, I I think of... uh, This is is a big deal. So you guys remember when uh, Jesus had appointed correction for Peter. Peter was getting a little big on himself. You know, he got a few prophetic words. In fact, the prophetic word about the rock and then get behind me Satan was like right next to each other. So as soon as he gives that, he does come in with a correction. But as leaders, we need to, we need to, we need to understand something. How many times did Jesus say to Peter, get behind me Satan? That was one time. That was good. And so, you know, sometimes leaders have this view, I have to just rebuke them into obedience. And correct everything as, no, 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 we don't do anything like that. Jesus gave like one stern correction to Peter. It was, it was needed. Peter was kind of getting a little out there. He was get really exaggerated view of his greatness, and Jesus anticipated all this. But he also, Jesus wanted Peter to know, Peter, you're young. And sometimes your mentality can go from a kingdom mentality to you're thinking what Satan is thinking. You're saying what Satan is thinking. You need to understand how quickly that can happen. And so I need to just put you in your place. I'm not going to do it every day or even every year. It was once in three years kind of thing. And so if you're a shepherd and you really care about people, maybe you'll give the one stern correction once every three years or five. I mean, it's, to do it every day or week or month, it's, you're not healthy. Okay, so we don't that's not how leader, that's not how Jesus leads. Jesus leads by just interacting in gracious humility and serving. Uh, Jesus served way more. He served his disciples way more than he corrected. So you know, figure all that out. But there is a point where they had the relationship and they had the, you know, they were together enough where Jesus knew, okay, Peter can hand, he can handle this. But I'm not going to do this every day. But sometimes if you correct rare enough, it sticks out like it should. But if you do it all the time, it just loses its value. Jesus knew that, of course. Jesus warned Peter. Remember the warning in Luke 22 where Jesus said, Satan is coming for you, Peter, but I've prayed for you. And so there was a time where Jesus said, hey, Peter... You're called to be an apostle. You're called to lead the church. But Satan wants to take you out. That's true, but also know that I'm praying for you. And so that's important. There was this um, there was this uh, indication that there is warfare. It is real. But there was also the affirmation, but I'm with you and I'm praying for you. And I preached a message on that recently. Christ-like shepherds. I can't... If you want to lead young people, one of the most Christ-like things you can do is simply pray for them. Just simply pray. Because Satan does want to take them out. And he wants Satan wants us as leaders to go, oh, I knew it. All that pride and youthful zeal and blah blah blah. And then just to write them off. And Jesus goes, Do what I'm doing. Contend for their greatness. When Satan comes after them, rebuke Satan. That's what a godly shepherd will do. That's what I do. I fight for my flock, not with physical violence, spiritual violence through prayer and intercession. If I see them struggling, I pray the devil to leave their life and for them to experience a a season of open heaven uh, or freedom and deliverance. That's so crucial. And and then there's the big one, okay? Okay? Jesus walked with Peter through all of this three-year journey, and then at the very end, Peter denies Christ. I mean, talk about anticlimactic. We've been together for three years. I've brought you through all this. I've released you and anointed you, and this is how you repay me? You deny me at the moment of pressure? It's not what Jesus says. He knew it was coming. He warned Peter of it. He, for, he, he spoke about it in advance, and for many reasons, but one is so Peter, knew, he would know. I already saw it coming, and it's okay. I didn't want you to fall. I didn't want you to stumble, but now that you have, I want you to know I still want to restore you, and this is going to be a part of your testimony. I don't encourage people to run out there and deny Christ. We probably will never fully understand the pressure Peter faced in that moment. But this is crucial for any shepherd in the body of Christ, whether you're influencing a few or masses, is to understand that young people do blow it and it's not permanent. We need shepherds that tell young people, Yes, you've blown it. Don't make it a permanent decision. Get back in the game. Yes, I get it that you're struggling and it's hard and all these things. Jesus says you're still called to be what I called you to be. You're still the rock. Sometimes the rock gets shattered for a while and then you just you Jesus picks you back up and you start being the rock again. When you when you walk with young people, you got to go through a few seasons where they stumble, they get it, they stumble, they get it. This is this is how I've lived. This is how we there is nobody that does it perfect. There's one guy that did it perfect. And he gives us the instructions. And so we as leaders when we expect young people to make no mistakes or to not do the things we did wrong, if we expect them to be perfect, we do them a great disservice. There's nobody that's going to do this perfectly. And some will wrestle with different things than others. But there is a self righteous spirit out there where there's these hoity toity leaders. They expect young people to just get it, even though they're not being, I'm not going to invest in you, but I expect you to get it and do it perfect and do it better than me. And Jesus goes, Don't do that. If you want to be a good shepherd like me, they're going to stumble, they're going to blow it. They're going to get knocked around by the devil. You pray for them. You restore them. And every situation's different. Every person's different. But a, a young 16, 17, 18, 19 year old called to be an apostle who buckles under pressure for a season, that kid needs to be restored. And we need to do it however the Lord leads. But this is critical. There are so many. Uh, really rigid leaders out there who just say, well, I, I couldn't restore Peter, he's, he's denied Christ. You know, you can't restore that. And Jesus goes, no, you can't. You can do that. You can restore that person. We see in the parable of the lost son, or the prodigal son, however you say that, the son ran off, squandered everything, and the father just waited for him. And he just said, whenever he comes back, I'm just going to invite him in. We're going to do our thing and have our party. It was the older brother who couldn't believe that. The younger brother squandered a season. Father lets him back in. There's no penalty box time. I just love you. (laughs) Come back in and work for me and be my son. Here's my ring and blah, blah, all that. And it was the older son The one that was faithful and obedient but didn't know the heart of the Father. He couldn't believe that that God was like that, that the Father in the story was like that. But He's like that. There are many sons who squander a season and the Father says, come back into the house. And the older obedient sons have to be like, yeah, you're back. Oh my gosh, let's do life together and serve Jesus. And that's the only way to do it. We can't be so pious that no one can repent and come back. And that parable actually, oh my gosh, there's so much insight in that parable. There's the prodigal son, there's the pious son, and there's the perfect father. What's the perfect father do? He lets him come back. And there's no reservation. I just, I love you. Welcome back. Now, the the little brother might not be leading worship the very next day, or pastoring a church, I don't know whatever, you know, whatever the situation is, but we restore the relationship and eventually what they're called to do. Now, in saying all that, yes, I understand there's situations out there where it's just grievous sin upon grievous sin and no repentance. Yeah, we don't restore that person to ministry, but we love them. You know, and there are things in the Bible that says don't associate with this or that, and it's super rare. Okay, There are extenuating circumstances, however you say that word, but that's kind of the exception. The rule is if someone's like, man, I blew it, I want back in, you're in. <laughs> okay, we restore that person. There's a lot more we could say on that. How did Jesus lead Peter? Those are a few of the things He did. Can you imagine an apostle in our day and age, in the age of the internet and social media, an apostle denying Christ and Jesus saying, I want you back. (laughs) Leaders might not, but Jesus does. I mean, it's just crazy to think. We live in such a cancel culture-oriented offense, no second chances, no grace, no forgiveness kind of culture where we tend to think now we kind of arrived at how you do things and how you do things is what Jesus did. Okay, so I never want to get to a point where I know better than God. Okay, because here's the standard right here, right in this book. And if he can restore people that blow it, now again, every circumstance is different. But I just see here's one of his top leaders. Guys, this wasn't the guy cleaning the, the, the floor who stumbled and can I be restored to maintenance? This was the rock. This was I mean, think of the top apostle today. Denying Christ—I mean, this is this is crazy—but here's the here's what I'm getting at. There's going to be so many young people that God raises up and elevates, and n- almost none of them are going to do it with maturity because they're not mature yet, and we're going to have to help them navigate the the pressure of life, uh, increased warfare. Health kind of comes and goes, and all the financial things, and life hits you, and oh my gosh, a betrayal out of nowhere, all that hits you, and what do you do? And Jesus wants to walk with people through that. I do, and we all should want to do that with young people, because when you're young, you've never had someone betray you until someone does, or you've never not had money until you don't. Or, you know, why doesn't that person talk to me anymore? Why, that's so weird. And there's so many things we got to go through, and we need shepherds that help walk people through that. I love Jesus. Man, he just, it's like he knew what he was doing. (laughs) Love this man. Young people need shepherds who will trust them. You know how young people grow? They're just given opportunities. Leaders say, I trust you. Just do your thing. Do what you're called to do. If you if you mess up, it's okay. We'll talk about it. Like there's nobody who's not going to make a mistake. You know, I'm a, I grew up as a hockey player, and I still love hockey. I I probably watch way too much hockey. Even though it's March Madness and there's basketball on, I'm still watching hockey. But you know, the greatest player on the planet, Connor McDavid. Okay, he's just having an absurd year. I mean, hands down, there's nobody on the earth better at hockey than this guy. And he makes mistakes all the time. And you know what he does? He just does the next play. And then he scores like in the next shift. He just boop. And so within the church, even the best of the best are going to make mistakes. And we just go, you know what? That's okay. We're human. We're sinful. You really reached for God. You blew it. Me too. Let's just keep going. There's no other way forward than that. That's the gospel of grace. That's the gospel we need today. Is the gospel of grace. We give each other more and more chances. I'm uh, meditating on the book of Jonah right now, among other things. I love the book of Jonah. Why? Here, God says, "Go to Nineveh and preach to those wicked people. Tell them they're wicked." It's like, no, thank you. I don't want to tell 120,000 people. Hey, guys, you're wicked. (laughs) Like, I would rather not do that. And so Jonah goes, no thanks. Heads the opposite direction. Nineveh was the direction of Chicago, if you're here. He goes to Tarshish, which is the direction of St. Louis. Instead of going northeast, he goes west. He goes the other, and so then the storm hits, and then the big fish, and all these things happen because God's all like that. And after he kind of knocks him around for a while and he gets him praying inside the, the great fish, he actually prayed in there, which I find hilarious. Okay, I'm in a whale or something, or whatever the great fish really was, it doesn't say. But it says he prayed and and then Jonah chapter three, I believe, or maybe it's four, it just says God sent him again. It's like, Okay, you totally said no, totally blew it, the storm hit, the fish came and all that, do it again. A second chance. We serve a merciful God. I mean, literally, Jonah did not want that city to repent. I mean, we're talking like, Jonah, you can't do that. What? And he did, and God still gave him another chance. Interestingly, Peter's dad, his name was Jonah. And so I'm sure all of his life he's hearing stories of Jonah And Peter would have never, oh, it's never going to be me. Oh, no, ah, no way. I'm going to be so dedicated if I ever get called by a rabbi, you know. And he was given a second chance. I just think there's an interesting, just God's beautiful like that. He just weaves it all together. Let's go on to Paul and Timothy. I've kind of touched on that. All I want to say about Paul and Timothy. So Paul, we obviously know his radical conversion. Timothy is one of his younger disciples. He's he's like a spiritual son to Paul. And so Paul writes letters to him saying, here's what I'd do if I were you, Timothy. I can't be there all the time, but here's what I would do. I think you should do this. And it became the Bible, obviously, so it was really good advice. But So he writes 1 Timothy. He's not content with one letter. In 2 Timothy... Paul is in prison about to die. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if I'm in prison about to be beheaded for my faith, I'm not thinking of who should I write. What letter should I send today? I'm about to die. But that's the kind of leader Paul was. He was thinking of his... So even when we're going through difficult seasons, God says, if you want to be a good shepherd, you want to shepherd young people with a Christ-like heart, think of them, pour into them, invest in them, no matter the circumstance. Help them. Give them opportunities. Tell them what to do. Figure it out if it doesn't work. That's so important. And again, maybe you're thinking, I'm a little young for this. You're going to blink and you're not going to be too young for this. I love Apollo. So, Paul had just come to town. Okay, This is in... Oh gosh, what was it? Ephesus Acts 18? I can't remember exactly what city it was. Paul had just blown through town. Imagine you're coming in after Paul the Apostle. <laughs> I just like the conference the weekend before Paul spoke, okay? Like the author of Romans and Ephesians and two-thirds of the books of the New Testament. Now here comes young Apollos to follow up. And he's just on fire, he's preaching, he's zealous and all these things that we, we read about it in Acts 18. But he doesn't know about the baptism of the Spirit. He knows about the baptism of John so his, theo- his theology is limited. and so he just preaches and you know all this stuff and it was good. But then it says Achilia and Priscilla, a married couple, they pull him aside. Apollos, we love what you're doing. Have you heard about the baptism of spirit yet? Because Paul just came through town, and you know, I'm not sure if they said it like that. But my point being is, they believed in Apollos enough. I'm actually, going to flip over there to not pull him aside and you know rebuke him for what he didn't know, or hey, tone it down. You're a little overzealous. Like we already had Paul come over here. No, what they did is. Let's read this, Acts 18, 26-27. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue with Priscilla and Aquila. Heard him, they invited him to stay at their home, and they they explained to him the way of God more adequately. Can you imagine? So here's their heart. Apollos, that was so good. Come stay with us. We We want to tell you more. He had the humility to receive it. He stays with them. He gets another insight. What's it say, the next verse? When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. So he goes from one place to the other. He doesn't just help people. He's greatly helping people. And I just think, man, that's how it works. I want to be like an Aquila and a Priscilla Some young dude comes in here just fired up and just preaching all they know, but it's limited. Bro, there's a little bit more. Just take this nugget. Take it to the next city. Paul was just here. He said this here. Consider this. And maybe it's an insight on prayer or the Holy Spirit or end times or whatever. We're not taking young people aside to rebuke them and bash them and stop doing ministry. No, take this little nugget. Keep going. Go Blow it up on the next city. You're called. We sense that. We're not intimidated by your youthful zeal. We need more of that. Go help other people, but just take this truth with you. I've done a message before on the humility of Apollos. He was young. And when you're young and zealous, it's hard to listen to people. But he was young, zealous, and humble. And that's just a lethal combination. I mean, it's just... If you... Really know the Bible and you're really zealous and you're young and you got energy and humble. It's like, boo. Because you, you go from knowing what you know to knowing way more really quick. And you just, then God really does use you. you anybody can pull you aside and teach you anything, so you just grow so quickly. It's, it's when we're young and unteachable, we, we, we hit a ceiling, we hit the wall real quick. And so the Lord has to check us sometimes. But I love how that was handled. Let's purpose to be that way. You know, I think it's no accident. Even just today, I was contacted by a young person. They said, "We want to do a worship event right here in a couple weeks. Let's do it." Okay, so I, I'm in a way, I got to shepherd that person a little bit, and then and then the week after that, we have a huge, uh, uh, help me, Caruso, missions trip. Students from IHOP University. About 25 of them are going to be in the area for a week. They're going to be here for us for like four nights. And there's just an opportunity just to, hey guys, we believe in you. Just go for it. Just bless our city. Bless this house. Bless everywhere you go. Let's give you opportunities. Let's have some discussions. Let's get to know each other. Let's build relationships. Who knows what it will turn into? But we want to be like shepherds that are just able to help young people where they're at. You know, it doesn't just happen uh, during events; it's, it happens all through through every day, through every week. But those are just some. That's how Jesus led Peter. That was Paul's relationship with Timothy, Aquila and Priscilla. They are a married couple who invested in Apollos. No matter, you know, what our you know, they, Aquila and Priscilla, I'm not sure what their jobs were. You don't have to be in full-time ministry, but just have a heart for people. And God will use you to touch so many uh, of those that God's trying to raise it up. Let me just kind of conclude with this. I have it written down here a little bit, but there is going to be, as we see the day of the Lord get closer and closer, God is going to pour out His Spirit on His sons and daughters. On men and women. I mean, just if you pause on those two points right there, women are going to need shepherds who believe in them. There is so much controversy in the church right now, and my heart breaks. God is literally going to anoint millions of Christian women. They are going to speak prophetically, and it's going to be anointed, and we have to have leaders that believe in them. There's going to be 10,000 Beths Moores. If you don't like Beth Moore, I'm telling you 10,000 are coming. I'm just telling you right now, there's going to be people way more anointed than her. And I know she's, you know, whatever, this or that. No one's perfect. No one's is 100%. Only Jesus nailed it. Even Paul probably had some things that didn't make the Bible okay. But God's going to pour out a Spirit on sons and daughters. We need fathers and mothers who can raise them and recognize God put His Spirit on you let's learn how to do this together. You remember the Philip in the New Testament in the book of Acts, he had five daughters who prophesied. I think it was Philip the evangelist. You know, I think that's funny. Philip's this evangelist wanting to win souls. Probably wants a couple boys to help him. So God says, here's five girls that speak under the anointing. Can you imagine the conviction in that house? He couldn't sin ever. You know, Philip's like, I want to win souls. Give me a few more boys to do this. And he's like, one daughter, two, three, four, and they all hear from God and they all speak with power. It's like, ah. But that's only going to be more normal. I remember one time we visited IHOP. Oh, this is great. This was years ago. We went into the prayer room. You know, Caleb was like seven. Noah was like five. And there was, I'm not kidding you, a seven-year-old girl, she was Caleb's age, went up to the microphone. Crusoe, you would have just, oh man, I don't even know if you were there at this point. This is years ago. And she went up there and she prayed like Ephesians 1, you know, Spirit of Wisdom and Revelation, then Ephesians 3. Prayed like every apostolic prayer. And it was like better than Mike Bickle. Okay, and she was just crying. I mean, it was like the most anointed prayer I've ever heard. And my boys were just going like they were just gobsmacked. They're like, "Wah!" Cuz you know, my boys at the time, they're they're praying like, "Lord, I want gummy bears for dinner." You know, that's their prayer life. And here's someone their age. <laughs> there was like Father Spirit of Wisdom Revelation, Lord root is in ground is in love, right." you know, she's, she's and she's seven. And after she prayed, she like skipped down the hall like a 7-year-old and like came to the back and started coloring and we're just like, "What in the world?" <laughs> And I was in that moment, I'm like convinced, this is coming on a general. We're going to have intercessors that are seven years old. That's going to be normal. And there's going to be eight, nine, 10, 11, 12-year-olds operating in a prophetic gifting, preaching giftings, and we just have to have room in our heart to shepherd and go, you know what, I don't fully understand how it all fits together, but I believe in you. And I don't, you know, I, we can have all of our strong convictions, but we need a tenderness in our heart for young people to figure it out. I, I so appreciate the people who worked with me to help me figure out, because, you know, when you're young, you're like, oh, yay, I love Jesus. And then two weeks goes by, I don't love Jesus. And then I'm called. And then I'm, I don't care. And then, oh, I really love the church. And then I hate the church. And you go through all this whiplash for years. And we got to walk with people through that. And we gotta just we gotta stay positive and invest and you know let them go through their little attitudes and then just pray them back and that's what we need to do. Amen. Amen. Let's see. Okay, I went way too long again. Did that turn off? Did the is that still on right there? At my phone. Okay. Well, let's just do real quick one or two questions. If you have anything, I can speak to, and then we'll just uh, we're going to close in a quick prayer together.
1: I I had one. One.
0: I don't. Chase has a question. This is rare. No. Because he says, "Don't appoint a novice
1: quickly." Amen. Amen. Don't put them in position of authority too quick. So I do like. There's a balance, a delicate balance there.
0: I just wanted to hear that because I know it's yep. in Scripture. They can fall into the condemnation of the devil. They can get absolutely. So One like- of the things we navigate. So let's say we we don't make them pastor. We don't even put them in an eldership. We give them chances though. We let them lead. Here, you could speak over here. And again, not everybody can speak. Not everybody. But we we begin to say, Lord, what does it look like for this person to begin to step a little bit higher into what they're called to? And we just case by case we feel it out, and then they stumble and they they don't do it well. We give them another chance. We just work with them. But yeah, you know I think that verse is, is mostly referencing like a an actual position or title, and so we don't necessarily give that to them right away. But we give them chances because how do you get there if you don't? So I would I would say, and and sometimes it's trial and error. You know I've seen some people. That you know were sort of held back. That actually they should have been promoted, and I've seen people promoted they shouldn't have been. And so it's just it's hard. But yeah, I think we don't go, wow, you just got saved yesterday, and you really are loud pastor the church. <laughs> but sometimes it happens and it works. So I just like there's I've seen too many things to like make hard and fast rules. You know, Timothy was really young. The disciples were young, but I think Paul was cautioning against. Kind of blanket, just endorse people based on talent or gifting or charisma. He was kind of checking that because if that goes unchecked, then you just got craziness. So,
1: so one more follow-up, kind of a yep. subsection on that would be. And I've just been thinking about this myself. James three one. Not many of you should be teachers because yep. you're going to be more strictly judged. Yeah. Um, but then it says in Colossians three sixteen. Speaking to one another with psalms, spiritual songs, singing, making another, you know, teaching one another and saying, admonishing one another. So it's like, obviously, you need to be all edifying each other, teaching what you know. Right. But it's like, where do you draw the line at?
0: Maybe he's talking about an authoritative pastoral position. I think so. I think in general, we're all sort of called to be teachers at some level. And then if you are to step into the like the bishop level or leadership over you know, you know, pastor, elder, priest, bishop kind of level, or over that, I think he's getting at that senior position is how I understand it, could be wrong. But if if you're to be a formal or professional educator from the Bible, you know, that's something to you know, that's what I do for a living. I I teach the Bible and so Invariably, I'm going to give people a lens to think through, and God says, "Don't take that lightly, because if you you're teaching people your whole life to think wrong about me, we're going to have a conversation." And that's where I always think of what Mike Bickle says: "Shock me now! Don't shock me that you know I want to. uh, If I'm doing it wrong, tell me, Lord." So I, I would say we all teach, both men and women teach. We all do all the time, and yet. If you aspire to be sort of a platform kind of teacher, that's a good aspiration, but just it comes with the sword hanging over your (laughs) head—the sword of Damocles. You know, you want to—you can't just teach whatever you want. We see many teachers today that just teach what people want to hear. Ooh, I can't tell you how devastating that's going to be for some of them. You know, we have to be willing to be unpopular in in a loving spirit. You know because there are more and more pastors that are like drag queen pastors. There's a couple local ones. And it's just like whoa. I mean, literally, literally you mean literally dead serious. Like literal drag queen. literal literal drag queen pastor in our community. And in, in our area. Yeah, they're they're well known. And this has become it's going to be way more common. Because the churches it's going to the sheep and the goats are going to become so polarized and clear. So yeah, I'm not exaggerating at all. So I think we have to go with Jesus and be willing to teach the truth, but truth and love. Okay, so you know, you said men and women and Yes. The Lord and son, yes. But in reality- That's right. But I I'm I, I I want to pray on tonight that you what you said earlier about limit because I mean they're just as just as anointing and oh yes alert too, you know what I'm saying? And I, I just always love to hear a, a more you know what you Absolutely. And I think there's there's always gonna be I think, you know, every denomination has its positives and negatives. And most denominations, they nail it on a few things and they're weak on a few things. That's just how all denominations are. And so I respect there are denominations that are not going to have a woman preacher ever. I respect why they do that. Okay, They have convictions. They have Bible verses. I disagree. But I think that... You know, there are many denominations who who are open to women preachers. And they have their Bible verses. And And how I understand it where I'm at today, if you take the whole of Scripture and you match all the verses together and you read them in light of one another, I, I agree that that should be a thing. And I promote women preachers. My wife preaches here. Uh, But I've learned not to get too like, okay, you've got your reasons and your denomination does it that way. I respect you. I bless you. But I'm going to do it how I feel like the Lord's told me. But I just think that issue is going to become really prominent. And I think it's going to be undeniable that the Lord is with women. And in many cases, they will be leading massive movements. And it will be undeniable the Lord is with them. And yet there's still going to be a guy in the corner going, ah. <laughs> it's like, okay. Would you make a distinction there between preaching versus
1: governing and bishopship? Because that, that to me just seems like that can't be. Like, Jesus Christ had the opportunity to choose a woman. Right. He didn't choose one single female apostle. I mean, that's, right. I, if your feelings are hurt, I'm sorry. That, right. But you could be a prophet. I'm right. saying you could be a prophetess. There's prophetesses, there's, you know, the woman can prophesy. But I'm talking, you make a distinction. If, if you disagree, that's
0: fine. But do you make a distinction like you did earlier? I think there will be literally female apostles in the as we get closer to the Lord's return, perhaps leading millions of people. They're already on the earth today. They're just not in America, and so I, I think. I, so I mean, it's one of those things where if you were to go to North Korea or Iran. Or anywhere China even, there's there's really lots of women being used. It's just in America we struggle with certain things, but in the rest of the world it's it's a lot different. And so I have to look now Jesus chose twelve men. I, I think okay, there was reasons for that. I don't think he can't choose a woman, you know, somewhere else two thousand years later. And, and again, this is it's a subject where you know we have to kind of lovingly <laughs> hash it out. But when I when I see, you know, the amount of like hatred, for example, Beth Morgets, I just go, wow, what? Oh my gosh, like she's really been used by the Lord. And you know, some people wouldn't have her preached on Sunday. Okay, that's what your denomination does. But I'd have her preach here. <laughs> So, I mean, it's one of those things where we have to walk in tenderness toward each other when we have different convictions on this. And I used to be hardcore complementarian. I mean, I used to be hardcore on some of those verses. And I've just learned over time there's too many verses that say the opposite, that you have to read them in light of one another. And so, yeah, it's just one of those things where I've... Holy Spirit, help me and help us. And other questions, Renee, or... Last thoughts, questions before we wrap up here? I think I've opened a can of tuna. <laughs> yeah, we, you can't really argue with sons and daughters prophesying. I mean, it's just it's coming. And we have to be ready. And it doesn't mean everybody's going to be a pastor or a formal apostle, but I think it's going to happen. And so I just want room in my heart. I've seen in my own little bubble for the last 25 years, God put His hand on women, and it's just like I gotta, I gotta figure this out within Scripture.
1: So, so they can prophesy with their head covered, which we also don't care about that. Right. We just throw that out because we don't care, but it's
0: in this book, the New Testament. It's like it, yeah, it's cultural. If your head, if your head is not covered,
1: you, and you're a woman, you yeah. should not be talking in church according to this book. This is what this book says. Feelings can be one thing. This book says, if you are a female, do not. Speak and prophesy. Prophesy. You can pray and prophesy. I'm, agree- I'm just agreeing. Well, oh prophesying.
0: Prophesy with yeah. with
1: your head covered, it says. Yeah, that,
0: it's a cultural. It's a cultural.
1: He, he, look, he, it, whatever it is, it's in this book. He, he put it in the book. And I'm just simply uh-huh. saying, husband of one wife. Husband yeah. of one wife. Why didn't it say something different? Husband of one uh-huh. I know, I know. You opened up a can of tuna. You said, but to me, it's
0: just husband of one wife. I can Search it the out, out, my friend. But husband of one wife. Never, never, never once does it say wife of one husband. Anyway, okay. I
1: I you've got your view, we can
0: disagree with it. Okay. Well, I will say this there was a certain young lady who Jesus said, I want you to tell all the disciples. Sure. I'm risen. Yeah, sure. That's called preaching in my book. Sure, I mean, teach
1: I'm saying prophesying and, and evangelizing is one thing, but I'm saying prophesying governing, means
0: governing in a church body as an authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the word, the word prophecy, prophecy is speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit. Most men today that I know don't even do that. They don't have the Holy Spirit. God is going to raise up women with the Holy Spirit to instruct men. And I don't know if it's going to be on a Sunday morning. I think we're a little more sensitive to it in America for some reason. But it's worldwide. You're going to see women being used by God. And... Why is that? Because there's Bible verses saying it will happen. And so I don't want to oppose Jesus. Now, we have to rethink some of the things that we thought it meant X, Y, Z. We have to be willing to rethink that. And I think you know, if we're hoping that one or two verses in Ephesians or one or two verses here is the only thing that we're basing our conviction on, we need to rethink those if the whole of Scripture says something else. And so I, I will go to bat on this issue as lovingly as possible just to help us. Lord, help us. If I'm wrong, help me, Lord. But I don't, I don't think I'm wrong on this issue. I think the Lord's opening the door for His, you know, and actually I actually heard a story recently, this may help Chase, and we'll not go too long on this, where a well-known missionary brought a young gal with him. And the young gal called ahead because this is a very conservative church that they were going to that said we only want men preaching. And he called and said, "Well, I'm bringing my granddaughter. She's going to speak. I hope that's okay." And so she called the church and said, "Hey, how do I how am I supposed to dress? I know you guys are conservative and what can I do?" And she figured it out so that she God could use her. And I just think we're going to see a lot more of that. Like there's really anointed women and they're just going to they're going to figure out how to operate in certain spheres to reach people. And so, because, there, yeah, there are some parts of the body where it's a little more, ah, uh, we do it this way. But I think the Lord's going to soften hearts. So, all right, we better, we could do Q&A all night, man. This is getting, this is getting good. It's already getting fresh. Woo. Well, let, just stand with me. Let's pray, because we've gone till time here, and I just want to pray a blessing. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. And this is the blessed part of community. We get to talk about things. We get to wrestle together on issues. And we get to talk about Your truth. And and so, Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us into truth. Lord, we want to shepherd young people with Your heart. I pray for every single person in here. Make us shepherds that are like Jesus the shepherd. And give us your heart for men, for women, for children, young and old. Give us your heart. We want to invest in the next generation. In closing, just put your hand on a friend next to you and just pray, Lord, give us a heart for the next generation. Just take a minute or two to pray together and then we'll we'll just end with that. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.